we want to pray for you guys. So you could maybe just stand right over here. Um, we want to pray for you guys, yeah, before you head out to Kenya. Um, you'll be gone for 10 days, you two? 12? 14? 19. 19 days, okay. And Pete's even gone for an additional... In Kenya, I'll be for 35 days in Kenya. Okay. So we're going to be missing you guys for... Oh, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we want to pray for them. They're going to be gone from us for quite a while. And I know we'll be praying for them while they're gone. But the least we could do is um, have them before us and do so. So um, as I pray, please just pray with me and um, we'll commit them and their mission to the Lord. Father, we are grateful for Don and Mary and Pete. Grateful for their willing spirits. They, that they would want to travel, especially now, uh, to Kenya, to Nairobi, to France, to Germany, these places, and really um, selflessly go out. This is not a vacation. This is not a, uh, a, a honeymoon. This is a time of a lot of work. So I pray that you would sustain Don as he preaches many times. Give him the endurance of your spirit. Uh, would your spirit give him great wisdom as he applies these truths to the people in Kenya, as he visits the McFalls and others, other brothers and sisters in the Lord? We pray that it would really fill his heart with joy and, um, and really just strength at doing your work in other contexts. We also pray for Mary that in her service there, and she would be quite full of joy, quite full of endurance as well, knowing that there is always untold surprises. And um, may they be flexible and willing to do what you have for them, uh, even if it's not on the itinerary. Lord, we ask that you would keep them and Pete, all of them safe in Nairobi as there is some unrest. Um, we know that you are a Lord who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. You are sovereign over all the events in Cody, and you are sovereign over all the events in Kenya. We pray that your sovereign hand would go with them, protecting them on the way, protecting them while they are there. Lord, we also pray for our brother Pete, that you would give him great amount of wisdom in talking with other pastors, preaching and teaching, as you have uh, put on his heart to do ministry. Would you make clear how exactly you want him to serve? in what context, and in what way. And we're thankful for his great willingness to be around us and his gift of being a deacon. And we pray that the, the fruitfulness that he has here among us would go with him there. So, Lord, we commit them to you. We trust that you will oversee all of their affairs. You will enrich their lives. And more than anything, Lord, we pray that they would have great fellowship with you we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We could do vow renewal if you wanted to do that, but I didn't plan on that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for bearing with us in that. We'll just keep, continue to keep you guys in prayer. What a wonderful thing. Um, I'm sure many of you have been on missionary trips. Uh, maybe there's a handful of you who have never been on a missionary trip. And maybe, you know, going to Kenya or France, uh, 
or Germany sounds like, ah, it's a pretty neat thing. Um, it is neat. Um, but it's not always easy. Uh, it's difficult, in fact. It's taxing. It's draining. Not only do you miss your family um, and your local church, but just kind of alien. Just kind of feel off and out of, out of sorts. And there is serious unrest in France, as you probably know. And there is serious unrest in Nairobi. So please pray fervently for the safety of our brothers and sister. Okay, if you're not already there, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to cover chapter 5, verses 1 to 11 today. Please follow along as I read aloud. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's pray one more time. Gracious Father, fill us with your word. Fill us with yourself that as you fill all in all, we may be filled with the very fullness of God. Open our eyes to your wonderful word that we may behold wonderful things from it. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, um, due to my... Uh, planning and um, the weather not letting me know what was going to change with it. Uh, we had to take a pause last week. Thank you, Don, for filling in. Two weeks ago, we had closed our uh, chapter four of 1 Thessalonians. We looked at the coming of Christ, the, the glorious return of Christ. It's just a, a marvelous day that the Christian looks forward to with great anticipation I mean, if you think about all the days in, in your life waiting, waiting for a, a wedding day or a birthday or maybe, maybe not waiting for a birthday uh, or a child's birth, of all days that we wait for, this will be a day where all the anticipation is worth it. It won't pale in comparison to what will actually happen to, on that day. And having talked about that day, Paul begins to close out his letter here in chapter 5 by telling the Thessalonians how they need to live in light of that 
glorious day. And as we can tell, Paul is not so much concerned about the when of Christ's return, but the how of the Christian. Instead of when will Christ return, how can we calculate this and be ready, Paul says, don't worry about the when. You just be ready. Stay in readiness. Stay alert. Basically, keep awake. Keep awake. And the Christian stays awake. That's what he says. The Christian stays awake. So in what manner of living, or, or how should we then live, as one person might say, waiting for this day? Well, there are four ways in which we should wait. First off, he says, don't worry about the time. As you're waiting for the day, don't actually wait about the time of the day. It might be a little oxymoronic, but he says, you are eagerly awaiting this day, but don't worry about when. Just concern yourself with how you should be waiting. In verses 1 and 2 and 3, Paul tells the Thessalonians, you know, concerning these times and seasons, you have no need to be written. You know, have no need to have anything written to you. Not because they know when it will actually happen, but because they are children of the light. And because they are actually fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So instead of worrying about how or, or when the day comes, just concern, concern yourself with this. How will you be waiting, Thessalonian? How will you be waiting, Christian? The Thessalonians weren't the only ones who wanted to know the day and the hour of Christ's return. There's a long, long list of people who have gone on record. And I didn't know how long until I actually researched it. But I've gone on record to say, oh, here's the day and the hour. Aside from the fact of that's the mark of great hubris and pride, because the Son of Man says he doesn't even know, and let alone how should we, we still do it. People still do it. Harold Camping in 2001. Christ is coming back May 21st, 2011. Wrong. Others have Ronald Weenland guessed on September 29th of 2011 that it would be the following May, something about May. May 27th, 2012, that came and went. Then he altered it and said, no, it's actually the May of 2013. I don't know what's with the month of May, but other, and, and the, but the list can go on. But we're not supposed to worry about Israel as a nation bringing out our calculators and figuring out when will Christ come back, doing our eschatology by newspaper headlines. I cannot believe, I cannot believe the parallels some are drawing, and this isn't because I love Donald Trump, but I cannot believe the parallels some are drawing of Donald Trump's indictment on Holy Week as the Antichrist. It's real. 
I know some, we know somebody who wrote a whole book about it seven years ago, and, and now he feels like he's quite the prophet. But, but you get what I'm saying. There are all sorts of speculation. And, and Paul says here, and we know from other passages, don't worry about the win. Don't worry about the win. Why? First off, here's why. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and the day of the Lord will come upon, some, come upon us so fast, it will be like labor pains upon a pregnant woman. So he uses two analogies here, two word pictures. And he says, this is how the day of the Lord will come, like a thief in the night. And thieves don't write notes. They don't, they don't write their own invitation. They come while people are unexpecting it. They come when, they're, when the people are most vulnerable. They come when it is most advantageous for them and least advantageous for the other person whom they're robbing. And on the other hand, the other word picture is the, the day of the Lord will come suddenly and unexpectedly like a thief in the night, and also suddenly like labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Sarah was pregnant with Shepherd when we were just sitting down for dinner. And then eating dinner, the chicken casserole, that was a really good dinner that got spoiled. <laughs> and then, whoop, got to go. Ready to go. Unexpected. Now, Obviously, it was coming at some point. Just like Christ's coming, it's coming at some point. But when exactly, we don't know. But we know this. The certainty of Jesus' coming is as certain as a pregnant woman who has labor pains will then actually deliver. The certainty is that way. The labor pains show the delivery is coming. And it's imminent. Be ready, therefore. Be ready. So the Christian is not called to, to do eschatology and date setting with calculators and newspaper headlines. And, but just know this, your king's coming back for you. Your king is coming back for you. He knows all the hairs on your head. He knows your name. He's formed you intimately, wondrously, fearfully. He's coming back for his people. And he will deal judgment out with those who are not his people, whom his return will be very sudden. But the Christian, the Christian waits with anticipation. While there is a suddenness for Jesus' return for the Christian, it's not so much of a caught off guard as finally, finally he's come. Finally he's come. So we don't worry about the date, the time. Secondly, we wait knowing we are his. In verses four and five, Paul continues and he says, regarding this return of Christ, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or 
of the darkness. Paul tells the Thessalonians that the day of the Lord will not break suddenly upon the Christian or upon the Thessalonians because they are children of the day, children of the night. Now, Paul does quite a few things grammatically here that are quite interesting, but he he says there are two types of people in this life. There are the children of light or children of the day, and then there are those who are of the night and those who are of the darkness. And these metaphors of light, day, night, darkness, of course, they contrast each other, but they also give implications and definition of what these kind of people are. So the, the, those of the darkness, those of the night, those are people who are blind. They can't see. They live in sin. They possess a spiritual stupor, a spiritual dullness. They don't perceive rightly. And they're associated with thieves, secrecy, hiddenness. Colossians 1.13 says, We were rescued from the domain of darkness. Romans 13 says, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So, completely different people here. There are those of the darkness, those of the night, and then there are also those of the, those of the day, those of the light, those who are knowledgeable, they're informed, they're holy, they're pure, they're unashamed. They're not doing their affairs under the shroud of darkness, but in broad daylight because they have nothing to be ashamed of. They have nothing to hide. The Thessalonians lived in this way. All Christians live in the light of God's revelation. And so this, this light, day, night, darkness metaphor speaks of two, di- two, two kinds of people. And, and it speaks of the, the nature of the person. There are those who are darkness, and there are those who are light. Ephesians 5.8, you were darkness, but you now are light. Now, there are passages which say it, but he doesn't even say it here. He's, he doesn't say you were in darkness. No. He says you were darkness, and now you are light, Ephesians 5.8. So this speaks of the Christian's nature, the kind. We're told in Revelation, excuse me, in Genesis 1, that there are various kinds of creatures we might just say, genus, this genus, this genus, fish, flying fowl, humankind, so forth and so on. There are different natures, different kinds. And the Christian is someone who has been radically changed to be of one kind, to be of a different kind. No longer darkness, no longer sinful, no longer of the darkness and night, but actually light in the Lord. Children of the day. We're no longer hostile to God, but we actually are His children. And as children, we take on 
our Father's attributes. We are light in the Lord. And so we await His return, not expecting wrath. We're not destined for wrath, verse 9 says, but we are to obtain salvation. Completely mutually exclusive. If you ever wonder, like, I feel like I'm living in the darkness or I'm living in the light. Habitually or characteristically, yeah, we, we still sin. But we are no longer considered unrighteous, sinful, dark creatures. We have been metamorphosized into God's very children. Children of light. Children of the day. And so as children of the day, I think there's even a play on words here, we are children of that day. Of the day of the Lord is the child's day. That's when everything comes fulfilled, all anticipation is met, and everything is realized. The day of the Lord comes, Christ comes for his people, and we are children of the day. It is a celebratory day. And I know we often think about, like, I don't know what that day will be like. And we don't know with complete specificity what that day will be like. But we know this. There's no wrath. We're not destined for wrath. Amen. We are destined for salvation. And there's, there's no fear in a king coming back to rescue you <laughs> away from a dark world. The Christian will stand in judgment, as Psalm 1 says. So, first, we wait for the day of the Lord by not guessing at the time. Two, we wait for the Lord by being assured we are actually children of that day. That day belongs to the Christian. And three, we wait for the day practicing what we've already been become what we've already been made. So he says in verse 6, he continues this light and night distinction. He says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So he, he states that we're by nature change. We're new creations in Christ, radically changed from the old life to the new life. But then he says, not only is there a change in your nature, there is also then a change in your habit, a change in the way you live, a change in the way you conduct yourself. And we live like new creatures we live like children of the day. We don't live like children of the night. Children of the night sleep and get drunk. As it says there in verse 7. The night and darkness people, <laughs> they're, they're known to sleep. They're known to get drunk. Now, while this might have some literal meaning of sleeping a lot or procrastination or intoxication, 
even these characteristics are metaphorical in the person of the night is sleeping. They are unaware of what danger is going on around them. They're sleeping. Their eyes are shut. They have no idea what's going on. Or they're drunk. They have no control of their body. They're, they just live in a way they desire. The people of the night, people of the darkness, their, lively, their lifestyle is one of unawareness, ignorance, and no self-control. Therefore, when, the, when Christ comes back, they're caught off guard. I'm sure we've all had times where we're sleeping and, and a, a loud clang goes off in our home. What, what's that? Catches off guard. You're sleeping. <laughs> or the expression, hey, you're sleeping on the job, man. Hey, get to it. <laughs> we had uh, some very good friends. Um, he, uh, he's barbecuing with his grill and didn't dispose of the ashes the way he should. Ashes were next to a propane tank. Middle of the night, they're sleeping. Bang. House burns down. They get out literally by the hair of their chinny chin chin. <laughs> they were asleep. They were asleep. And, and, and that's how the Bible talks about those who are not in the Lord. They're asleep. They're unaware. They don't get it. They're sleeping. I mean, we have all sorts of idioms, you know, hello, wake up, <laughs> all sorts of idioms of, you don't get this, do you? And that's what the Bible says those who are outside of Christ are. They're sleeping or they're drunk. They're, they're lacking control of themselves. They're just kind of flying along. On the other hand, the Christian is of the day. The Christian is of the night. Instead of sleeping, they're awake. And instead of drunk, they're sober. So Paul has these parallels going on. There's, there's the night and darkness people. And then there's the light and day people. And we all act in accordance with our nature, Paul says. The, the darkness night people, what do people do? What do, what do night people do? They sleep. They get drunk. What do people of the day do? They're awake. And, and again, this is not simply to be understood as literal, as Christians are constantly awake or constant, uh, constantly sober, although we are literally sober, but we are to be filled with the Spirit, not drunk with wine, and we're to be awake, alert, ready, that's what the Christian is, is like. That's what the Christian lives like. And so going back to our Genesis 1 illustration, there are various kinds that are mentioned. And all kinds reproduce their own kind. Squirrels produce squirrels. Dolphins, dolphins. Fish, fish. Eagles, eagles. Squirrels don't come from eagles. <laughs> and each kind acts within its own nature. Birds are made to fly. Now, obviously, there are, you know, breakdowns to this analogy with ostriches and pe penguins and stuff, but birds are made to fly. Their nature is birdness, and they're meant to fly in the heavens. Fish are made to be in the water, to swim. 
Mankind is made to have fellowship with God. So when we are called children of the night or children of the the light, we've been brought out of the night, we live in accordance with our new nature. While this does inherently mean we have some uh, activity, it's just a law. It's just a principle of nature that all animals, including humans, act within their own nature. Birds fly. They're made to fly. They will fly. Some of them swim, cormorants and weird birds, penguins. But you see what I'm saying. Regenerate sinners are meant to live alert. Christians are meant to be sober-minded. We're meant to put on the breastplate of faith and love and for helmet the hope of salvation. Now, Paul... He could be grabbing from Roman soldier imagery. You probably heard that. Ephesians 6, the armor of God, breastplate, shield, sword, helmet. Let me, let me just say this, though, because the parallels with this verse in Romans 13 are so clear. This is a, what, what Paul has said in approximately Thessalonians 5, 5 to 8 is pretty well summarized in in Romans 13 when he tells the Romans, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Again, he's not talking about the sun. (laughs) He's talking about a spiritual epoch, a spiritual epic uh, or era in which the Christian lives. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So Paul says there what he alludes to here. We are to put on Christ. How do we know that the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation is our hope? Because this is the warrior imagery, the warrior armor that Yahweh himself takes up in Isaiah 59 when he does battle to rescue his people from sin. So when Paul says, put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, he is most definitely talking about the virtues of faith, hope, and love. But in addition to that, he's saying, put on Jesus Christ in whom you have been clothed, in whom has won your salvation, and the one who has plundered the strong man, ripped you from his grips out of darkness and put you in light. Put him on. Put Christ on. Walk in faith, love, and hope is to be Christ-like. That is what it means to live according to our nature. We've been given Christ's very spirit. The resurrected Christ is living in the believer. You and we then walk corresponding to our new nature. The new nature is life, 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 light, liberty, joy, happiness in the Lord. And that is how the believer walks not in drunkenness, orgies, or lack of self-control.
Lastly, so we don't, we don't wait for the day by doing some arithmetic. We, don't, we also wait for the day by being confident we're actually our children of light and day. And then we also wait for the day by living like children. Hey, you've been made children of the light. Live like it, Paul says. And then lastly, we live helping each other. The, the same imperative he closes chapter 4 on, he does here in 5.11. Therefore, given all of this, given the coming of Christ, the glorious return, the anticipatory day of Christ, live this way, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Paul has that very wise pastoral way of saying, do this, by the way, you're doing, you're doing it already. Just keep it up. Excel still more, as he would say earlier in the letter. But he says, encourage one another. Build one another up. We're not doing this alone. God doesn't call his people to have individual Bible studies on Sunday. He says, you're my ecclesia. I have, I have called you out of the world. And so we are to encourage one another, keep one another in mind, and build one another up. To encourage, the word encourage is simply a verb form of the noun paraclete. Probably most of you know paraclete is the Bible's choice word for the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is a paraclete. And this is just simply a verb form of that noun, paraclete. So to encourage would be, yes, in a sense, if you're following the logic, to act like a Holy Spirit with one another. But, but to be a paraclete is to come alongside one another. So when Jesus gave the Holy Spirit and breathed upon his disciples the, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was another paraclete. He was another Christ that came to his apostles and disciples and would walk with them and lead them and guide them in all truth. So it is to, to come alongside of one another. It is to cheer up a fellow friend, to instill hope and comfort in one another. Paraclete or paracleto from what this word encourage comes from. Far-reaching, really flexible, a lot, of, a lot of different implications, but by and large, a, a positive force in another's life, spiritually. To cheer up a fellow friend, the writer of Hebrews, speaking of making sure no one fails to obtain the grace of God in this running of the race, he says, he says this, therefore lift up drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So to encourage actually refers to kind of a, a nursing, a, a, a helping out of someone who's, who's weak, who's maybe spiritually lethargic or down and out or not there. 
And to build one another up is actually going a step further is to further strengthen. If to encourage is to keep in mind those who are weak or in a season of weakness, to build one another up is to solidify that person, to strengthen. It is no doubt taken from the world of construction to build and to edify an edifice. But to build up spiritually then is to make strong, to make firm. Some have gifts in this way. Some have more gifts towards encouragement. Probably thinking of people in your lives who are like, that, his or her friendship in my life strengthened me. Or others, his or her encouragements in my life brought me from a weak place to a place of soundness and spiritual healthiness that I needed to be at. But he says, this is, this is what we ought to do for each other. And I will say, the health of a local church isn't by preaching alone. The healthiest churches I've seen are congregations that serve one another without, <laughs> without much uh, prodding. They just do it. They already know. They already have their finger on the pulse of the congregation. They already know this person's hurting. This person's struggling. That's, this person's gifts is this, and we need help here. The health of the church is no doubt furthered by preaching. But I think in our reformed circles, where we do elevate preaching, and we should, one another's, one another's is an irreplaceable part of congregational life. Don can't do it all by himself. I can't do it all by myself. Not one of you can do it all by yourself. But we are called here and in other places to, to build one another up and to encourage one another. This is what Paul says. Christ's coming. He's coming. Be sure of it. And in the meantime, don't leave your buddy behind. <laughs> Be aware of each other. Know each other well enough to say, I, I need to go over to that person's house or, string, or build that person up or encourage one another. To put it another way, living for Christ's return, living with this eschatological moment, this final day moment is not about the little horn in Daniel. <laughs> it's not about any blood moons. It's not about any calculator arithmetic on a year jubilee times 70 times 7 comes up to some date on the calendar. <laughs> Living for Christ's return is being about faith, hope, and love. That's what Paul says. It's about living for each other, living for Christ, and, and, and bringing everyone along. When Jesus was closing out his ministry, he gave a parable about how to 
await his return. The parable of the ten virgins. And he says the kingdom of heaven is going to be like ten virgins. Ten virgins who took lamps to meet the bridegroom. Five wise ones took oil with them for their lamps. They had a journey ahead. And they wisely prepared. Five foolish virgins took lamps, but with no oil. Might as well throw the lamp away. The bridegroom was delayed in coming, and they all slept. All ten slept. But the bridegroom started to come at midnight, and all of of them, all ten awoke. But the foolish ones asked the wise ones for oil, which they didn't have. So the foolish virgins went to go buy oil, but while they were away, the bridegroom came. And he left, and he let the wise into the marriage feast and shut the door behind him. And the foolish ones came back with oil. They knocked on the door. And the bridegroom said, I do not know you. And Jesus to this says, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus doesn't say, calculate it. Jesus doesn't say, calculate it, because I don't know. <laughs> he says, no one's going to know. Wait in readiness. I do not know you are the words Jesus says to those who were not ready for his appearing. We, ask, have to, we have to ask ourselves, am I ready? Am I ready? Am I ready to leave all of this world behind? All of it, the shiny toys, the friends. Am I so awaiting the day that I, I'll help others, I'll encourage others, I'll build up others, I live like I should, I live, I live consistently with the new nature God has given me. This is what it, Paul says to wait. Don't worry about the time. Be assured that he's coming back for you, his very children. Live like children and help each other. That's it. There's no complications. There's no secret life to the Christian life. Concern yourself with faith, hope, and love. Let's pray. Glorious God, we do await your appearing. And the sky will be rolled back like a scroll. The mountains will melt like wax at your appearing. And our day will be here. That day which will completely redefine every other prior day. It will be the day of days. It will be our salvation day. I pray that you would protect us for this salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time by committing to us such behavior of children of light to live with faith, to live with this hope, to live loving one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
can stand for our song. Be thou my vision. 